Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Oh, so we have a conversation about the guy, but then we never mention his name. It's so funny. So, yeah, we there's this great moment where you asked me who he is, and then I didn't have it ready to go. So there's like three or four minutes of you and I just BSing while I look him up. And then we have the conversation about him. And in all that time, never say his name once. So, oops. We'll mention it. Yeah. Brian Thompson. Uh, was the name of the actor that we never mention when we're talking episode. And we talk a lot about it. Which means that we're going to be talking about rules of acquisition today, but we should introduce ourselves. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beginning the Trek. We're on episode 31. So hopefully uh, this isn't your start. We recommend you starting at the beginning. That's a good place to start. But if you haven't seen Rules of Acquisition, go watch it because we're going to talk all about it. Yay. Yay. And who's sitting here with me? Via digitalness. <laughs> this is Andy. I'm the Trek veteran, and uh, I've been uh, curating this journey uh, through all of the Star Treks with Jessica. And today is episode 31, Rules of Acquisition from the Deep Space Nine um, show. Series. Series. <laughs> we are not on it this morning. Well, I think it's, we're a little goofy. Certainly. We're a little goofy. All right. I'm going to do some jumping jacks while you give your 10-sentence synopsis. I guess I'll just dive right in and I'll give my 10-cent synopsis for uh, Rules of Acquisition. So are you really going to go do that? <laughs> Will that make it better or worse? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know. You can I hear usually, me thumping in the background. <laughs> I usually look at you uh, I usually look at you while I'm doing it because, you know, I got to kind of, you know, read it off to somebody. But if you want to go do jumping jacks and no, don't do that. Here, let me go. All right. You okay. ready? Here it is. Ten cents. So this is the the synopsis for rules of acquisition. Here we go. Poor Morn has to go home as Quark's bar is closed for a private game of Tongo featuring Quark, Rom, some Ferengi waiters, and winning the whole thing, the diversity-centric trill, Jadzia Dax. A smart, business-minded waiter sucks up to Quark. Hashtag rule of acquisition 33 by introducing him to a way to double his drink sales and Quark has found a protege. The game is interrupted by a call from Grand Negus Zack, who inconceivably announces that he's coming to Deep Space Nine for a business opportunity to get a foothold in the Gamma Quadrant. And the magic word is tulaberries. <laughs> Zek needs DS9 to conduct business, but requires permission for Bajor, so with Cisco acting as a broker, Zek offers 50,000 kilos of bryzine nitrate and Kira accepts, so business will go on, and I guess we're going to just ignore the whole bribe thing? <laughs> Quark's excitement to negotiate drops after Pell points out Zach could be setting him up, hashtag rule of acquisition 48. So Quark hires the upstart to assist him, a good thing since Zach keeps upping the ante until the oddly painted Dozai finally have to walk away from the negotiating table. Big time reveal. First, Pell has prosthetic ears and boobs, hiding the fact that she's actually a female, and in Ferengi culture, she shouldn't be off-world or earning profit, and second, that she's actually in love with Quark. No time for that now, as it's off to the Gamma Quadrant to get this deal done with the Dosai, and let's make sure that we have some extremely awkward and hysterical moments with Pell and Quark now that the audience is in on the twist. 
Meanwhile, back on DS9, Zek's heart, or lobes, are aimed right at Kira, and one good bribe deserves another, so what's she willing to do for a gold-pressed latinum earring? And the answer is absolutely nothing. As Rom exposes Pell's subterfuge by finding her false lobes, she and Quark lose the deal with the Doci. But hey, try the Dominion. They might have what you need. That's what Zek really wanted to know was, who's the big trading power in the Gamma Quadrant after all? Pell, unwilling to return to life as a naked and profitless Ferengi female, opts to head through the wormhole and make her fortune, unfortunately without Quark by her side. But he gave her ten bars of gold-pressed latinum, and if that's not love, I don't know what is. For a Ferengi. For a Ferengi. Hi. Hi. (laughs) What were we doing? This is this works that we're in a bit of a goofy mood because this was kind of a goofy episode. It was a really we, you want to talk goofy? You want to talk goofy episode? It was like rom com, a, a little bit esque, esque, <laughs> and and very funny. I thought there were some parts that were really that were pretty good. Okay, good. Well, let's let's find out what was good, what wasn't good. Do you want to start with your rating like normal, or do you want to save that this time? Uh, no, I'll start. I'll start with the rating. My problem wasn't the rating because it's a, it's a solid three out of five. My problem was what the five should be. And I'm going to go with the not obvious. I'm going to go with the, uh, Dossie. The Dossie? Dossie. See, I swear to God, I do watch these episodes. Of course you do. (laughs) Several times. Uh, the Dossie helmets. Dossie helmets. You're going with the docile helmet. Now, normally, I would go with the ears because Pell pulls off those man Ferengi ears. The fake but then ears, I yes. I thought about what those ears are, and I was like, I can't make that a ring. <laughs> I thought you might go with the Tongo wheel. Like, I don't know if I could get, unless somebody's made that and I could get a picture of that. There are pictures of those. So there somebody's made, this is a game? Oh, yeah. We should learn how to play. This sounds like fun. I liked the, the spinning retreating thing. <laughs> there are rules on the internet. I, I looked them up and in, in, in preparation for this episode, I was like, I wonder if I could, it really came down to, I'm a woodworker. And I thought, I bet I could make one of these start with a lazy <gasps> Susan. That would be awesome. And yeah. just, you know, it's a, a scroll saw and it, pretty soon you've got all the pieces you need and put it together with mm-hmm. some nice felt and stuff like that. And buy some of those round cards. And then I looked it up and somebody wrote the rules for it using regular nice. playing cards Using no jokers, and I love this because it's Ferengi, no queens, so it's authentic. It may not be, it may not be. <laughs> okay, so we're we going to talk about the misogyny of the episode now? Sure. Let's you know, I, I did want to be a little bit more careful with my stance on this one because I do recognize that this is, it's not a parody, but it's it's a farce. It's. It's a little bit Shakespearean with the dressing up as a girl and the little tragic character. It's so very Shakespearean, actually, right? Yeah. So I can get, again, I can get what it was trying to do. Uh, and some of it was really, really well done. So, but I do, uh, let's start at the beginning. Because my first introduction to the Ferengi, I thought that they were pretty awful. And I'm pretty sure that other people's first reactions in Next Generation could not have been far off of what my original thought was, was that they were pretty awful. You called them like orcs or something like that, like D&D monsters. I called them like D&D trolls. Trolls. (laughs) 
something. <laughs> the whatever goblins. Yes. But that was back in the next generation. Right. When I first met them. They were trolls compared to what they are right now. In a way. I mean, in a way, they still haven't changed in like the greedy motivations and the misogyny, and they're still kind of caricatures of that. So they still come off that way. This episode didn't change that. It's more like we've embraced it and made it just a little bit deeper because the ones we know get to be a little bit deeper, which is mostly Quark. Quark carried this episode. Yes, or, he does. Armin Shimmerman, is that his last name? Armin Shimmerman, yes, yes. Okay, really carries this. He's pretty damn amazing. He he is one of the the better actors on the show, and he carries them. And he and we'll talk. And when we get to talking track, I will recommend several quirk centered episodes um, in a variety of situations. He's really strong, and his eyes are so expressive. You could tell what he's, you could tell what's going on in there at every moment. You can, even, <laughs> even when it's, I'm being stupid or, uh, even when he's shocking himself being brave, it's, I really, I enjoyed Quark in this one. Uh, his motivation was maybe a tiny bit fuzzy. I can't figure out if he's a really great Ferengi or if he's a really bad Ferengi, given what the Ferengis think about themselves. Well, what is a really great Ferengi? That's we're we're gonna we're gonna see. This is how we kind of get to meet a little bit more about the Ferengi culture and really dive deep. And there's a lot of storylines that get into um, the misogyny, the rights of females. Um, there will be some some reforms. I think I mentioned in the last when we talked earlier. Uh, there's it's not they don't call it hashtag Me Too, but they have a movement. Um, I imagine that. Pell's got to be a pretty big start of a movement because her, I mean, I don't want to jump to the end, but her final thing was, that was, I enjoyed that very much personally. Well, if I can't have you, I'll take the money. (laughs) (laughs) No, not quite that moment, but we'll get to that. Uh, There's something about, the reason I didn't give it five is because it really is missing, it it missteps in a couple of ways. And I think it could have done with a couple of rewrites the core is there, though, for some super classic, even the look of, like, the Dosai feels very original series. Am I wrong in this? No, I thought it felt very original series. And, you know, my first thought was, what are they trying to do, make these aliens with these weird dots and these lines? And then I realized, that's their tattoos. Like, they probably decorate their faces, or, or maybe it's a, a ranking system, but they actually decorate their skin. Because every time you saw a Dosai, they had a different kind of geometric pattern of those mm-hmm. those weird curvy lines with the dots in them and you know the colors were all the same like maybe the tattoo whorls that represent battles or that maybe it's battle makeup maybe it's you know it's it's they were very 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 aggressive they were they threw that guy out the airlock at the very beginning and they never explained like what that was i think it was just there to make them look mean fair enough who's the guy do you know who the guy who is who played the main male who was negotiating with them. I don't, but I'll tell you what, he looks familiar I'm as heck like to me. 95% sure that he was a vampire on like one of the first couple maybe the first episode of Buffy or he was one of the first big vampires that she kills and it's his it's his jaw that the way he talks. Yeah, and his lips are very distinct. Very yeah. distinct. Very distinct. 
Uh, no, I don't know the name of the actor. Do you want me to look it up and edit in there or just take all this oh, stuff out? I don't out? know. How much does it, is it worth to you to have that in there? I don't know. Let me see how fast I can find him. He was on Buffy. Yep. Oh, wow. He's been, he's done five different, he's done, everything. He's done five different Star Trek appearances. See, then you should know his name. Okay. So now that, now this guy was worth looking up. He was, he played Clag on A Matter of Honor. Uh, in Next Generation, he was in Glatu in this one. He played a helm officer on Star Trek Generations. Um, he plays a Gem Hadar. I'm not going to tell you what that is yet. Uh, later on, and he plays in Enterprise. Um, he plays Admiral Valdor in one, two, three. It looks like about four episodes. So, yeah, this guy's got some Star Trek roots. I'm glad we looked him up. Also, he was on Buffy. <laughs> I was not wrong. He's a vampire. <laughs> Which is how you recognize. He's got one of the, like like that jaw is so distinct. Yeah. You know that that pronounced chin. It really is powerful. Uh oh. Well, since we're going to be talking about the original series, then I think I want to say that this suffered in the same way that Let That Be Your Last Battlefield did, which is where there's kind of a co- commentary. And it's really blatant and obvious and we get it. You know, racism is ridiculous. Sexism is really ridiculous to the point of being funny. That's how ridiculous the Ferengi are with their sexism. It makes no sense to be this way. All of that message is there, but we don't take a stance and therefore it loses all of its teeth. So it's not that the fact that it was a comedy that bothered me so much it wasn't like we were making fun of women and and Mm -hmm. because it wasn't what i thought it was i said oh we're gonna have like sex slaves that's gonna it's gonna go there we didn't do that yeah no you were you're way off on that and and i'm glad about that the people who we are saying that they are the good guys because we're watching from their side we're watching their stories the federation the we people they did not have any st- and even when Dax is talking to Kira and Kira does because she has a whole little thing going on with the Nagus uh, returning his gift and rejecting his very creepy advances extraordinarily creepy right like and like, she even holds wow. back because he smacks her and she doesn't do any that is surprising to me that she didn't grab his hand twist it around and say here's what you're not going to do ever again more more like what she did in emissary when she said if you don't take that hand off my hip you'll never do anything with it again that kind right. of she she just sort of let it go right now he is a head of state therefore needs to learn the rules 25 years ago when this was on television the standards were, if we do this, it'll be a cute, fun moment that people will think is funny. And it doesn't quite play as funny anymore. It doesn't even play as funny anymore because of changing standards. And, and again, Andy's projecting Deep Space Nine into the future again. I know where the Ferengi culture is going. I, you know, and We'll talk okay. a little bit about it. But okay. the Ferengi's way of being is going to start changing. Their way of life is going to start having to adapt to if you're going to play with the Federation, if you're going to play with these people, you need to start respecting all of your, you know, all of your, your citizens, male and female alike. But this was second season early on. All we've really seen is we got to meet the Nagus. I think I mentioned that in last week. I mentioned the episode, the Nagus. Mm-hmm. We got to meet him and it's all misogynistic and it's very fun and goofy from back 25 years ago. I don't know what you would think about it. That's why I didn't have you watch it. I don't mind that. I enjoyed the same the same fun and goofy here. Uh, I get it. It's, it's cute. 
just a few inappropriate moments that were inappropriate back then and are less appropriate now or not appropriate now. It's a scale. It's always a scale. Someone thinks they're appropriate and someone doesn't. It's just where it is on the scale. When someone thinking that something that hurts somebody else is okay because it's funny is still just as painful for the person who's being hurt didn't make it any less painful for the person who's being hurt in the past. I agree. Uh, so the, And I don't. this is why I was like, I wanted to be very careful because I didn't want this to turn into an entire thing because I think we all get it. I'll get what it is. Uh, and the misstep was pretty small, I think, especially in comparison to what it did give, which it gave the Ferengi and Quark especially uh, a moment where they had to acknowledge, and especially when she's standing there saying, women can make just as much profit as men. Yes. Which is such a deep-seated goal. It, it was beautiful. Her ambition is her drive is just as much as any male Ferengi and she's smart and she's, she's really audacious. smart. I would go so far as to say she's smarter than all of the other people in that room. She was one of the sharpest people there. They all had one thing on their mind and she could see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. She called out. Cause she was looking at more than just profit. She was saying, how can I have it all and still keep this and keep everything under wraps? And yet mm -hmm. then she started to, yeah, she was a fantastic character. When did you know she was a she? Did you know she was a she? When she took off her ears. So it yes. was perfectly, yeah, it was perfectly in line. I mean, you knew something was going on. When when she walks in. Yeah. And the, the sad thing was, is there, there's a moment there. She takes off the ears and I'm like, oh, I get it. She's like, because yes. that's their big male thing. And then they panned down to her chest. And I was like, ah, it's a small thing, but it wasn't really necessary. They don't pan down to her chest, but they emphasize. What they do is she takes off her ears. Right. And at that moment, everybody who's smart who's watching. Right. Gets it. Not smart. Everybody, everybody got it. But because we got to make sure everybody that's watching is all caught up. If you don't know for sure, she takes off the jacket. jacket. She's got the chest. She sits down. She very clearly. The lighting, the lighting is perfect for, you know, that's what you're looking at. It. I didn't think it was necessary either, and I totally get that someone is saying, yeah, but what about the people that don't get it from the ears? So, but I got it at exactly the right moment. I was supposed to get it. Uh, it was it was perfect. Perfect in that way. Because, of course, I knew going in, watching it, I, I remembered the story, but I was curious if... There's no, you don't ever not see her as a female then. But that's the thing. You do not see her as a female. You don't see her as if those first 13 minutes, she's very male. She comes across as very male. The voice is very, you know, that, that raspy voice mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and she's, she's joking right along with the rest of them and Dax at the Tongo, at the Tongo mm -hmm. wheel. Not quite as hard as Rom, the brother. No, not quite as hard. First introduction to him, by the way. What, do you like Rom? No. He's horrible. He's just like spineless and kind of whiny. and. Yeah, Rom goes through Ugh. some changes. I think that they're trying to still figure him out early on. Rom's a lot smarter than he appears. He wasn't in this episode. He was exactly, he's just very toady. Which apparently being in Ferengi, that's a rule that you should follow. Suck up to the boss. And rule of acquisition number 21. It never hurts to suck up to the boss. Do we, is there a complete? God, I hope to God I got that right. I think that's rule 21. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go with it. And the answer to the question that you're about to ask is absolutely there is. Of course there is. While you're looking that up, something small to mention that was 
There's some really darling moments, but there's also some super gross moments. Yes. The ear hair combing. Very distinguished. Given what their ears are, yet again. Ew. So, I've been thinking about that. I'm not sure that their ears are actually genitalia. Okay. But it's more like watching somebody walk down the street rubbing somebody else's butt. Which would still make that, like, butt ear. There's no way that that ear hair isn't gross. Even just being ear hair, it had to be pointed out. Gross. (laughs) Yeah. And I got it wrong. (gasps) Which rule is it? The rule that says you need to suck up to the boss. 33. 33. Well, now you have to say it with confidence. Rule number 33. It never hurts to suck up to the boss. Boom. Yeah, there's a there's a, on Memory Alpha, there's a whole list of all the rules that were ever that were ever stated. So there's gaps, but you probably got a list of sure. close to 100 rules in here. Ooh, I have one. Uh this is just from my own life that I've heard. Pay yourself first. There you go. That could fit in with the Ferengi rules. I'll bet it's in there somewhere. I wonder if it came from that. Like, I heard that because somebody else had taken it and was like, actually, that's a big, a nice bit of wisdom. But do you have one that you would put? Like, if you had a Ferengi rule of acquisition, what would it be? A Ferengi rule of... My my Ferengi rule of acquisition is pay attention to everything. Opportunity can be anywhere. Very L.A. Yeah. Very L.A. Yeah, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I live in L.A. Sure. So we got this Tulaberry wine exchange thing. Oh, yeah. 5,000 vats, 10,000 vats, 100,000 vats of Tulaberry wine, of Tulaberries to make the Tulaberry wine. Which gets a little confused, by the way, because I think at some point he really does say we're looking for Tulaberry wine. Yeah. Well, it's that, it's that Ferengi negotiation. We saw that in progress. You know, we don't really need to know valuations and stuff like that. It's right. all very simple. So I'll trade you this, I'll trade you that. And and, and the dosai didn't have 10,000 vats. Did not, they didn't have to give, much less than 100,000. Yeah. There's only one place, there one, one place that they could go to, did you pick uh, up on that? that there's that, some kind of, well, if it's a place, that's interesting because they made it sound like a people or a group. One, one group. The Dominion. The Dominion. I, I, I'd like to see Quark succeed. I hope I know he finds this face. It. This is the face that's like, this is going to be a really big deal, and you don't know about it yet, and I don't know about it yet. This is the first mention of the Dominion in in Deep Space Nine. It just happened to be in an episode I wanted to I wanted to show you, but it is the very beginning of what will be the second half of so Deep Space Nine. So was that a cleverness is, on the writer, or were they just throwing things out? No, that had to have been because obviously the Nagus wants to. The Tulaberry wine he didn't even care about. He wanted to meet these Dominion place thing peoples. Right. We're looking. We're looking at the at the um, gamma quadrant through a peephole. Right. Called the wormhole. I mean, we can't see much of it. So, so uh, and and the Nagus is of course looking for right. opportunity. And so, what he was really looking for was who over there is going to provide me the biggest deals. Right. So, uh, and Quark. Apparently found them, you know, sounds like this dominion, this, this dominion thing could be pretty big. I mean, I guess what got to the Tulaberry wine, the Nagus seems a little bit like not quite as sharp as he maybe should be. He's funny. Um, (laughs) He needs a good woman. That's what he needs. You know, the funny thing is all of these Ferengi men talk about their submissive naked women at home, but every single one of them keeps hitting on these unattainable, strong, smart women 
who they have to chase after to get nowhere, because I guarantee you Dax isn't, well, I don't guarantee anything. Who knows what Dax is going to do? She doesn't seem too bothered by much of anything, which maybe comes after having living eight lives, but she's very blasé about a lot of things that, really? You're going to be blasé about that? Okay, well, you're no, you're probably going to outlive all these well, she, she she's lived creatures. through you know three hundred years of of lives. She's had she's had experiences as a, as a mm-hmm. male and a female. She's lived through all of the changes. How many Me Too movements and and sexism movements and you know how many times has she seen the pendulum swing in politics and war and this and that? And she loves the diversity of culture. You know, oh, sure. She's, like she gets along with all the aliens. Playing Tongo, I love the opening. That Tongo opening is so much fun when they're going around the table and you see everyone and then they all look and it's her. Sure. Super and first she wins. thought. Of course she does. She's very good at this. Of course she is. I don't know. Like the science officer, that's her title, right? She's the science officer. So it's yes. a seems to be a pretty smart mind that you'd be sitting down playing a game with. Um Right before that, very, very, very beginning, I had the question, are there homeless on Deep Space Nine? Because there's a dude just lying there. I don't know if he's been, like, drunk or what. The alien who gets up. Oh, that's Morn. That's Morn? Yeah, Morn. His name is Morn. Uh, he's in every episode. He was in the pilot. Really? He was. He's in virtually I every episode. I completely missed this guy. He never says a word. And his character was created to sit at the end of Quark's bar... Just as somebody to, you know, finish telling the punchline of a joke to, to refer to, you know, something like that, just to be there. And basically, he is Norm from Cheers. Okay. Just with no yep. lines at all. That poor actor. He should have at least been given an O'Brien kind of thing. Like Imagine being in all that makeup all day long and never say a single line. But hey, hung out on set at Deep Space Nine for seven years. Still pretty cool. Especially yep. if that's what you wanted to so, do. So, but, but your question was, are there homeless? Oh, yeah. Because um, it doesn't seem to be. I think if you're there, you're there for a reason. But they've had a lot of turnover. People, you know, they've had... Over the, the course of the first season, you didn't see this. They had to evacuate the station once, so everybody had to leave. So if they were there, they weren't there beyond that. And, you know, if you're going to go back to Deep Space Nine to be homeless, I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. Um, well, no, but you go there, you play at Quarks, you lose all your money, you drink a lot, uh, you got no place to go, so you end up sleeping on the promenade. Like, what do we do? Because the Federation doesn't seem to incline. We're going to skip that one and wait till Talking <laughs> Trek to see what is the Federation's role in all of this. Yeah. He's always around, and and yeah, and in this episode, and and by now you would have noticed him, probably if you'd have been watching have from the attention. very beginning. Yeah. Um, but you will notice him now. Uh, sure. The, the seven or eight wiry hairs on the top of his head that Dax talks about, the guy that she dated. Oh, that's Morn. Okay. That's Morn. So she went out on a date with Morn. Dax is an odd duck. Dax is great. Dax loves diversity. And she loves experience and she's got this analytical view, but she's also a badass. We're going to see that next week. She had a truly great moment when Pell, I think you know the one I'm talking about. I know exactly the one you're talking she about. She sits down and she doesn't know Pell is a female, but she knows. I knew you were different. She know. Yep. Yeah, she knows she's in love with Clark. Uh, you really do love him, don't, don't you? Don't you. 
Wow, does he know? He doesn't even know I'm a female. You're a female? Yes. It's like she had it all figured out. No, she didn't. Nope, but that may be the most gay-friendly moment I have seen. And didn't need to hit you upside the head. So great. Right? Loved it. So right? great. Like she, to- she was totally fine with that this guy is in love with Quark. Right. Yeah. No, fantastic moment. Dax really shines in this episode in, in a couple of places. I loved I loved that moment where she's talking with Pell. Mm-hmm. I liked where she's giving him hell at the Tongo table. Sure. Um, I really, I, there's just things about her I really enjoyed with this. I really liked those those moments. I, you know what? I, I, I'm having a Dax, a, a kind of a Dax thing going on because I've watched a couple episodes that she's, uh, I she got just, some Dax love going super, on right now. <laughs> she's your Spock? Is that what you no, said? Kira's no, Kira's, still Kira's, Kira's still your Spock. I'm really surprised by how much Kira's search for how do you deal with all this. Her life got even crazier. She never had to deal with Ferengi before. Mm. And she never had to be diplomatic about it. And she's so passionate. Like, she is not... Dax is super chill, even when maybe she shouldn't be. And Kira is so extreme. And I'm sure I lean more toward the Kira because the way she gets upset about it, she's like, we should do something. I'm like, yeah, we should. And Dax is like, eh, they're fun to hang out with. They've, they're messed up a little bit with all of those things, but Isn't it it's great cool. what Dex says about once you realize that, of course, they're misogynistic and sexist and all that, but once you get past all that, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, tell that to Pell. It was a lot of fun, I'm sure, living her life. I'm what she, she Pell was one of those Ferengi women mm-hmm. who we've never met. She is the first Ferengi fe- She is the first Yes. Ferengi female that we will have ever met in Star Trek. So not just me. It's not like other viewers have seen female. This is the first one. Okay. This is the first time we will have seen a female uh, Ferengi on Star Trek. Not our last. We'll be meeting Moogie. Moogie is Quirk and Rom's mommy. Do you have to say it like that? That got weird. (laughs) Yes. You have to say it like that because Moogie is the infantile nickname that Rom keeps calling his Moogie. So it's got to be Mommy, right? It's got to be Mommy. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going rec- to recommend a Moogie episode when we get to Talking Trek. Okay. It would be really amazing to find out all this time the men think they're in control, but actually they're living in a matriarchal society where all of the women actually hold all of the wealth and they just send the men out to gather it for them. So all of the men are like, yeah! And all of the women are like, yeah, and I can walk around without, you know, clothes and restrictive bindings and it's all good. I hope their planet is perfectly warm. I hope it's like the most level weathered planet ever. It's a swamp. They love it. It rains all the time. All right. It's mucky and goopy and yeah. Uh, you'll get a great episode where Quark goes camping with Cisco and can't do anything but complain about the fresh air. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Uh, do we think? Do we think he was actually in love with Pell? I don't know if it, there was an uh, if there was a romantic thing there because I don't think he could ever really see her as a romantic person. Right. But there was certainly an affinity. He he had the hots for Pell's business acumen. Very much. Way hot for that. So you know, uh, see, you just got to get past that it's a female. And you can get how hot that might be for a Ferengi. I mean, a Ferengi woman that can acquire profit too? 
That's the dream. I mean, just think about if she can do it, then you've pretty much left half your profits to half the people you won't let out of their homes. Interesting, right? Mm. And thus we get to the ridiculousness that is that. Part of what Star Trek is here to do is show us, show us these journeys, these ethical quandaries and these ethical situations and see how we handle it. And, and, you know, and they created this Ferengi society that we get to play with now for seven years of Deep Space Nine as they run into the hypocrisy of their own society. Oh, sure. Because you can't not. Yeah, of course you can't not. I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid to leave half your population naked and tell them they can't go outside. That's very, very, very dumb. And that point will be made. Yep. Well, it already was. Uh, and she she made it great. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did a really good job of making that point. But Ferengi, Ferenginar, the, the Ferengi planet, okay. Ferenginar, it's good to know. doesn't know that yet. Because it was all swept under the rug. Sure. You're right. That's the disappointing ending to this yeah. is, yes, she got her, what, 10 bars of gold pressed latinum from Quark. She's uh, going to nice... jump on a ship and make that so much more. And you know she is, right? You know she is. Of course she is. She's going to do great. She's going to do great out there. She's a little heartbroken, but she'll be okay. Yeah. That was a really hard thing for me to get over that it kind of negated all of her power as a character when it was just like, oh, but I don't care about that anymore. I'm love I'm in love with Quark. As if you as if she couldn't be both in love with Quark and still keep her reasoning yeah. and her emotions and but no, it's just like, oh, I'm in love with him and therefore all of this goes out the window. It's like oh Yeah, and and the quirky awkward scene in the bedroom was just <laughs> it was you want to talk about a slapstick moment you asked if there was slapstick there's a little bit of, there was some slapstick because quark was the one who needed the fainting couch in this episode right? <laughs> and his fall was very nicely done i thought so yeah total slapstick a little bit in this yeah the other great moments on in so spite of moments. kind of losing its teeth from that mm-hmm. uh the the shame on you moment from the nagus oh really Really powerful, mm-hmm. really great because the viewer gets to see just how silly. And then when Quark steps in and reverses the logic, the exact same logic. Yes. Very, very nicely done. I don't know how much Quark has changed with this, but it was it was great to see. I wish we would have seen maybe a little bit more stepping in of the, not even the Federation, but maybe giving Pell some help. Like if you, even if Dax is going to realize that she's not the one to step in and help the way that Kira would go all crazy and try and help probably to everybody's go all Kira uh, on your butt, go all Kira on everybody and burn down some houses. Um, Cause <laughs> she's just really passionate. That's just what she's, that's her, that's her deal. And Dax is much more relaxed. There could have at least been a moment after the big reveal where she takes it out, she's like, a woman can make just as much money as a man. Um, that she's not alone. That they're, like, she is kind of surrounded by strong women on this station. And I think that Dax should have not just sat there. should have been like, hey, pal, here's an opportunity. I've been around for a long time. I know that this place or that place or there's a lot of opportunity to be made here. I wish there would have been some of that there. She's she's headed through the wormhole where where you know where they don't care about her female where no one's going to show up and care about about her, her 
her gender and where she's already got a leg up on everybody else that's been, you know, that's going there because she's already been there. True. She's already started to make True. contacts. So she's going to, she's already going to have contacts. She with might the... be out there looking for the dominion. And I'm not saying that is foreshadowing, but she might be. I'm not saying that she doesn't come back from that. But you know, she's out there and you know, she's kicking butt and they, the, the, is the tragic character really Cork because he could have found a really great partner, even if he wasn't attracted to her all. Although I think the kiss established that he kind of was. It's, it is a bit of a tragedy. He could have had a lot of happiness there, yeah. but his belief in his own traditions kept him from getting it. Not too much. He did give up a lot of money. That stake in the Gamma Quadrant, he gave up. Yeah. So that's probably, he probably broke a couple of rules of acquisition just, uh, just to help her out. Sure. Well, profit comes and profit goes. Is that a thing? There are fortunes to be made and there are fortunes to be lost, and he will do both in the course of the show. I kind of wanted to talk about the Federation and what they're actually doing, because there was a mention in this episode where Kira gets all excited about getting food for a northern peninsula. And what the heck is the Federation doing, if not helping the Bajorans get on their feet. And if people are starving so much that they've got to, like, get the Nagus in here to give them food, she just goes, like, bright-eyed puppy dog with Cisco and is like, can we please have food for my people? Which seems crazy. Don't we have You're, you're talking about the bryzine nitrate that they were, which I assume is like a fertilizer or something that will help grow food. Oh, it was the fertilizer, yeah. right. But it, what she says is just like, oh, that could feed our northern peninsula right, or something would, like that. Would, obviously a huge gift. Yeah, I kind of took it as, as food. Which, and but we didn't talk about this in Talking Trek. I meant to bring this up. Was that a bribe? It was an offered bribe because they were going to be, like, they were going to let him have the station anyway and then he mentions it and then they're like, yes. And then yeah. he's like, oh, you can pay me. And then they're like, no, we're not going to pay you. I don't know what that tactic is. Yeah, it felt like an... It- it felt like an offered bribe by Zach. It felt like a brokered yeah. bribe by Cisco. And it felt like an accepted bribe by Kira. Just felt a little funny to me that, that it was never couched as a bribe. And oh, it, could it have been definitely a gift. wasn't I mean, a gift. Not when he was just like, Cisco's got no problem getting his hands dirty. Cisco doesn't get to choose whether or not Bajor accepts a bribe from the Ferengi. He does when it's his station that is offering what the Ferengi want. The Ferengi just wanted to do business with the Dozai and wanted to conduct it on the station. So he accepted a bribe. That's all. He (laughs) He accepted a bribe on behalf of the Bajorans. Cisco didn't accept the bribe. Cisco brokered the bribe. Oh, yeah, what Kira you're saying. accepted it. That took Cisco's me a long just the moment one that to negotiated get through. It. Sorry, yes. Cisco's the one that negotiated it. I get it. I so get what Zach happened, yeah. offers a bribe and then changes the bribe's terms a little bit when he tries to sell it. Sell right. it. And then Cisco turns into a broker and says, that wasn't what you said. You said this. If you're going to give him this, you give him this. And then Zek says, okay, I agree. And then Kira says, okay. And Everyone so Cisco happy. brokered a bribe between the Ferengi and and the Bajor. It's the least he can do if he's not going to be like, why don't we rec- replicate some fertilizer for you and send it down to the planet? Clearly you need some. They couldn't even replicate a bed for Jake. Where are we going to get fertilizer I don't know. From? There's orange juice and stuff happening. Like... Yeah, you can make food for the people on the station. I mean, they got the replimats and stuff like that. But this isn't like 
everybody's got a replicator in their in their room like it was on the Enterprise. You know, we've only got well, the Replimat and a few others. Okay, I assumed that this was like an energy thing, which they're taking from like space or something, something that's air, something, and then creating something that they have a recipe for, which is why we've gotten the little things like, oh, this synth ale isn't quite like real ale because, but what, or like we've had those comments before. Maybe this is going to turn into mm-hmm. a replicator thing. So yeah, explain maybe. to me why thing. they couldn't just set one that's giving somebody breakfast into just working all the time to do for stuff that's needed. Well, so now we're looking at what is, we are circling back now to, why are the Federation on Deep Space Nine? They're not on Bajor, as far as we right. know. There don't appear to be any any civilian or any any Federation presences on Bajor. At least we haven't heard about them. But we're helping run the run and administer the mm-hmm. station because, for whatever reason, because Picard specifically said, "Do everything but break the Prime Directive to get these people into the Federation." And breaking the prime directive would be doing anything that would alter the course of their natural development, including giving them food that they don't have. Now, if another species comes in there and says, we'd like to give you food, we're not going to stand in the way of that because that's also a part of their natural development. We're just not going to be the ones to deliver it. That's such bureaucratic nonsense. I agree. (laughs) You asked me to explain it. You didn't ask me to justify it. I don't like it either. I don't understand. You know, we've been decimated by the Borg. We're rebuilding Starfleet. That was going to happen in like a year. All those ships were going to get rebuilt in a year? That was what I was told at the end of that episode. Do you not remember her? She's just like, we'll be back on our feet within a year. Do you remember that line? She did say she she did say something like yeah. that. I don't I don't Maybe think she was that overly optimistic. All back. Well, and and space is space is big and that it is. The the farther out we go, the more we need, the more ships we need, the more resources we need. You know, there's there's a hundred Bajoras, Bajoras. There's a hundred Bajors out there with their own needs and we're doing you know we're, we're out there we're spread maybe the we're replicator should thin. create a replicator oh maybe what they need to do is stick a replicator to be transported and then take whatever's in the transporter <laughs> and then you basically you... turn the transporter into a replicator then all you need is like to transport the one thing and forever, but that's what replicators are. Only it'll be more giant size because the transporters are big. That's how you get all the fertilizer to the northern peninsula. I think they should just do that. <laughs> okay. Odo loitering around Quark's just, it seemed like he was there to be harassy. I'm yeah. <laughs> like, what was he doing? Just wandering, trying to, because he doesn't like Quark. We've established that. He doesn't like Quark like Spock and McCoy. Oh, okay. You know, they will turn into they. They are they are the babbling Bickersons. They are those two guys are gonna you know they're gonna go at it and and it's always from the perspective of let me see what I can get away with. Let me see mm-hmm. if I can catch you, you know. And, and it's the Coyote and the Roadrunner. Those two love each other. Can't be without each other. What would what would Coyote do without his Roadrunner? Any- what would Odo do without his quark? Meep. 
Uh, also worth noting, since we're talking Trek, uh, I did look this up. And it kind of surprised me because I wanted to see if this writer was a female or a male. Turns out it was written by a female, Hilary Bader. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I also noted that she wrote Hero Worship from Next Generation. She's written a bunch of other oh. stuff for like uh, comics and things. But I really enjoyed Hero Worship as well. So I thought, hey. I actually saw this note and I looked it up. What else did you find? I, and I found all of her Star Trek uh, episodes, and I'm even going to tell you about one of them right now that is like one of the coolest episodes in Deep Space Nine. Is this recommended? Yeah. I, 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 well, hmm. How do I recommend an episode like that? Let me let me just look at what she's got here. Okay. So she wrote The Loss. That's the Deanna Troy loses her empathic powers episode oh, okay. that you I mentioned, I mentioned before. before. And she wrote Hero Worship. Uh, and then Battle Lines was the episode uh, that I've also mentioned from Deep Space Nine where with Kyle Paca mm-hmm. going over to the to the Gamma Quadrant. Dark Page was a not her best effort. I'm just going to say that uh, and move on. That was from Next Generation. And then she wrote Rules of Acquisition. I don't remember what Meridian is. I honestly don't. Uh, and Eye of the Needle from Voyager. So she wrote a Star Trek or a Voyager episode as well. But the one I want to talk about is an episode called Explorers. And she wrote the story for an episode called Explorers. Now, this episode takes place at the end of the third season. I'm going to ask you to hold off. Until we get into the third season before you go watch this one. But in this episode, in this episode, Cisco and Jake will build a Bajoran sailor, a light ship that will basically sail through the stars on solar winds. And they're recreating the original Bajoran space flight, which, by the way, the Cardassians do not want them to do because the Cardassians want to say that they were in space before the Bajorans, and this would prove that the Bajorans were there first. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So, so the whole story is about um, them building this thing, and it's beautiful. The ship is beautiful. This golden sail ship that flies out there, and they, of course, you know, it's it, it, a lot of fun. And she wrote that, too. So this woman has written several really good stories. She's clearly a great science fiction. Yeah. What's her name? Hillary? Hillary Bader. Hillary Bader. Well done. Any others, then? I can't watch that one yet, so I'll hold off. But You can't watch that. All right. So let's, since we're doing recommendations, let's do, let's talk about the Ferengi and let's talk about some of the some of the more fun Quark episodes that you can go okay. watch. Can I All stop right? you so for just Quark... two seconds? You've Do got it. one, two, three, four, five, six things that are recommended here. Nagus, which I'm pretty sure you already mentioned, Profit Motive, so that's two, Family Business, three, House of Quark, uh, Little Green Men, like that's six. Right. So here's how we're gonna do this. I'll go through uh, here we're gonna talk about Quark for just a few okay. minutes. So um I already mentioned the episode, The yes. Nagus, so you can watch that. That was the the 11th episode of the first season, and it sort of introduces The Nagus. A lot of fun. Um, Profit Motive is the 16th episode of the third season, and in that, Zek, Grand Nagus Zek, returns with an all-brand-new, freshly-written rules of acquisition. Oh, interesting. And Quark thinks he has lost his mind, but it's actually a lot funnier than that. Okay. All right. If you want to meet 
Moogie, if you want to meet Ze- um, Rom and and Quark's mother, Family Business is where we first meet Moogie. So our second female. It's episode 23 of the third season, and it begins with a visit from another ongoing Ferengi, Brunt, from the Ferengi Commerce Authority, who immediately comes in with a writ of accountability for Quark, and they have to close the bar, only to discover that Moogie has been earning profit. (gasps) Oh, my. A lot of profit. A real lot of profit. She's a rich lady? She's a very rich lady, as it turns out. Yeah. And because it's not all about the Ferengi with Quark, there's an episode called The House of Quark, the third episode of the third season. And in that, a drunken Klingon is at Quark's bar and he turns violent. And in the altercation with Quark, he falls on his own knife. But Quark sees an opportunity here to boost sales at the bar, so he takes credit for it. And then the Klingon's family shows up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. And then I'm going to tell you about one more episode, but you're not allowed to watch it yet. You can't watch it until we are officially in the fourth season. Okay. When does that you're happen? Allo- you are not allowed to go. It'll happen in about three more episodes. Why don't you tell me then? Because this is a this is a great Ferengi episode. It's a great Quark episode, and That's so mean. I gotta mention it now. So the episode is called "Little Green Men." It's the eighth episode of the fourth season, and in it, Nog is headed back to Earth to go to the academy. Okay. And through a series of events, something happens where there's a little bit of timey wimey, wibbly wobbly stuff. It's gonna be a great episode. Have you ever heard about the alien landing at Roswell, New Mexico? Oh, you mean that one? Yeah. yeah. You want to hear Star Trek's version of what happened? Little Green Men. Fantastic. We'll tell you about how Quark and his family lands in Roswell, New Mexico back in the okay. 50s. And has an encounter with these humans. Humans. So, I love Quark. You knew that. Yeah. Uh, he's turning into quite a fun fun thing. It's it's good. Yeah. It's good. I'm I'm glad they spent a little bit of time on the Ferengi and not just made them this caricature of a bad guy. I mean, they still kind of are, but not Quark. Shall we talk about next week? Yes. What am I watching? Next week. Okay, so I need to give you some reminders. You don't have to go back and watch them again, although if you want to, you can. But let's talk about the original series for a minute. Whoa. Let's go back in time. I made a promise to you Uh that we were going to explore a couple of characters again, and now it's time to do that. So let's talk about three episodes of the original series, Errand of Mercy, The Trouble with Tribbles, and one you did not see called Day of the Dove. Okay. Errand of Mercy, let me remind you, uh, we go to the planet Organia where Kirk and Spock end up being pitted against a group of Klingons led by Klingon commander Kur, played by John Colicos. Right. This is the one where he ends up being like, really, you're going to fight for war? That was the one. Okay. I remember So that was our first introduction to the Klingons way back when. In The Trouble with Tribbles, Klingon commander Koloth, played by William Campbell, brings his ship to Deep Space Station K-7, where Kirk is guarding some grain that is poisoned by a Klingon spy. Do you remember that whole storyline, too? I am remembering uh, 
Shatner just being flooded with and pelted with tribbles. With tribbles. Yes. In, In fact, a bar fight that's probably still going on. Yes. <laughs> and a Klingon commander and a Klingon ship that showed up. Uh, where no fighting was done, but a lot of insults were exchanged. Okay. And Kirk, of course, won the battle of insults at the end. That was Klingon Commander Koloth. Yes. The one that we didn't mention, that you didn't see, was from Day of the Dove, where Klingon Commander Kang, played by Michael Ansara, brings a band of about 40 Klingons aboard the Enterprise, and they're pitted against about 40... Uh, crewmen in a struggle for what seems to be life and death, although nobody's dying. They turn out to all be puppets of uh, of a higher force. Oh, but we okay. get to meet a third Klingon commander, uh, Kang. So you don't have to go back and watch the episodes. If you want to go back and watch Day of the Dove, you can, but it's not necessary. What you need to know were those were the three big Klingon commanders of the original series. Okay. And they're all still alive. Oh, okay. Sure. And Jadzia Dax, when she was Curzon Dax, knew them all. Of course she did. So this episode features Jadzia Dax and these three Klingons. And the episode, the 19th episode of the second season is called Blood Oath. Blood Oath. Okay. So this is going to be the Klingons, because we've heard Blood Oaths before, right, from the Klingons? Sure. Uh, they're, every single one of them is pissed and after Dax, and Jadzia is going to have to be the one to deal with that. So they're gonna, we're going to have some Klingons on the station, and it's going to turn into a, uh, uh, she, well, she wouldn't hide out from them. So I think all these Klingons are going to show up and have a problem with Dax, and Jadzia's going to have to kind of run around the station and definitely going to have to get help from Cisco to keep them from killing her. That's what I think. Got it. Got it. So these three Klingon commanders are headed to the station for... Maybe more. Maybe they'll be like, those three will be the ones we know the names of. Sounds like a tale of revenge. It does. It's going to get bloody and oathy. Hmm. Well, we'll just have to see if you're right. All right. We will see if I'm right on May the 6th. That is a Sunday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, which makes it 6 p.m. What did we say? Pacific Time? Yes. Hey, hey, you got your time Which makes it like 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. No, 9 p.m. Maybe it's Standard. 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Six, seven, eight, nine. It's four hours. Three hours. I think. Yeah, three hours from here. Why do we have a problem with this every single time? How about, like, everybody's on the West Coast anyways. Everybody lives in one place. You're in mountain time. (laughs) Yes, I am. And you're tweeting at what time? I am tweeting at 7 p.m. And that means 6 6 p.m. Pacific time. Pacific time. It means 9 p.m. p.m. Central time. Okay. And it means 9 p.m. Eastern time. Eastern time. Okay. And I have... No idea what it means in Guam. In any case, to see any of these, you're going to have to follow at Begin the Trek. There you go. And if you don't want to, if you really don't want to do that, they do show up when I post on the website. Yeah. www.beginningthetrek.com. And it's also on our Facebook page at Begin at Beginning the Trek, at Beginning the Trek, and. 
and we're out. <laughs> this one just sort of we is like... We have said everything that we need to say. Yeah. Uh, have Enjoy Blood Oath. Lots of action, lots of adventure in this one. Um, gonna dig it. Gonna dig it. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. We didn't do that. Yeah, no, you were, you were way off on that. No. And, I, and I'm glad about that because at least then we're not like, ha ha, ladies who have sex, that's hilarious for other people's enjoyment obviously i gotta stop talking like i get myself into trouble when i just i'm I'm not quite my thoughts aren't quite caught up with my mouth hey keep talking i need a button so i'm gonna end up being like yay sex (laughs) oh god